They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy himself, and today our guest is Chris Nielsen. His background comes in improvisational comedy and coaching. He turns the great resignation into the great engagement, and we're going to talk about some really fun things and have a really good time. He's actually already been on my Power Lunch podcast, um, but this is his first time on the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. I'm glad I'm a guy who knows a guy named Michael. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. So tell us a little about yourself and what makes you awesome, Chris. Uh, a lot of things make me awesome today, and I can say that today when I couldn't say that very easily in the past. And one of the big things is quieting that negative voice in my mm. head that was constantly critical of me. And when I talk to audiences, I ask them, how many of you are critical of yourselves? 90 plus percent of people raise their hand. And if you work on that one thing and everyone can change it, it makes a huge difference. That that does sound very powerful. So, so we're talking about the voice of when you're like, oh, should I get into that partnership or should I take that opportunity or take that new job? I don't know. Hey. Not, that, that voice can be good sometimes. Oh, yes, the yeah. Voice, the voice I'm talking about is, why did you do that? That was stupid. I can't believe you said that. It's when I'm talking about, even to kids, I, I in the past, I've talked to kids at schools and the worst bully is you. Okay. Because someone calls you a name and if you go, yeah, I guess I'm kind of an idiot. And I can say that I'm kind of an idiot at times. <laughs> uh, but if you say, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. My parents think I'm an idiot. My friends think I'm an idiot. Uh, my mm -hmm. colleagues think I'm an idiot. And you play that over and over and over and over again. That's the negative voice I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Critical of yourself that you can't do anything right, that you're not yeah. good enough. I guess more what I meant is like when you when you get that job opportunity and voice the voice is telling you you're not good enough for that, you're just gonna get fired if you go there anyway. So, you know, stay here in this safe job where you know you're safe and comfortable making your wages you can't live on. <laughs> well, I you know, it part of us is going like this. Hey, we've survived so far in this comfort zone. Do not go outside the bubble, it could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. But there is a protective aspect of it, knowing that awareness that hey, we've survived this crummy life so far, if it's crummy or this average or this is slightly above average life, why step out of that box and take a risk? So that's a lot of uh, that goes into that thinking as well. Mm. And so so how do you how do you conquer that voice? How do you uh, how do you make that bully shut up? That took a, a lot of different things. And I can share a couple of them if you want. One of them was a book Mindset by Carol Dweck. Okay. D-W-E-C-K, a Stanford professor called the growth mindset. There's a lot of growth mindset organizations out there. That was one aspect of it. Um, playing with that in improv comedy as well, realizing when the motto was by Jackie Lowell, my improv teacher, uh, I called my improv Yoda, five mm -hmm. foot tall and shrinking, and uh, but filled with wisdom and <laughs> a bright, sparkly smile. Uh, and she said, hey, Chris, here's the secret to success in improv and life. 
And I, when she shared it, I said, no, thank you. But afterwards, I finally embraced it, even done a keynote on it. And she said, dare to suck. <laughs> and at the time, I was, no way, no, thank you. Because I knew, unconsciously at least, what my inner voice would have done if I failed really horribly at something. It wouldn't have been good at all. And I would, because I replayed past memories, I'd come back to something three months ago or a year ago and replay it again and beat myself up about it. So that dare to suck mantra with that safe zone that they created, turning those negative things into something cool made an incredible difference. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be, yeah. Dare to suck, care enough to suck. Uh, yeah. I love that, that concept. That's hugely important because anything new you're going to do. Actually, I recently put out a morning motivation episode. Um, which was called the title was, I don't know what the heck I'm doing and you shouldn't either. Cause if you I like that, if you never say, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, then you're so deep in your comfort zone that you're not moving forward. Yeah. You're living in your tempur comfort zone. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Brand name. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I know you help speakers do their thing, your speaker skills plus, and then you also do, um, the, the other note that has here in the bio is turning the great resignation into the great engagement. And I'm curious about both these things. So I'm going to make guest choice. Which one do you want to talk about first? I'll talk about uh, the great resignation in terms of the great engagement. For, Very good. Yeah. You know, I realized that when I speak to CEO groups a lot and employee groups, and one of the things I ask is this, would the recipe I just shared with you, boom, 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 six part recipe inspired by improv comedy. Um, which has dare to suck in it as number five, Mm -hmm. Uh, create a safe place, safe environment is number six. Uh, When I share that recipe with them, I ask them, will it boost your engagement? Overwhelming answer, nine plus out of 10 people, yes. Will it boost your retention? Yes. Will it boost your recruitment? Yes. Will it boost your innovation? Oh, yeah. And will it boost your productivity with all those combined? Absolutely. Will you have an environment that's more fun and actually a culture? Absolutely. So when I share that with them, it's up to them to implement this. It'll turn, it'll start attracting people to your business. And one, two lines I want to share with you. One, I say, how can you compete with the weekend? Mm -hmm. And actually using that recipe will actually help you compete with the weekend. And then I love Peter Drucker's quote, uh, the famous, you know, uh, social business scientist that looked at different things, how we make businesses really work. Peter Drucker said, Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And what he meant by that, I believe, is this. Culture trumps strategy. Now, strategy is important. And a great culture will create probably great strategies. But a culture that feels connected, engaged collaboration creates that in it. That's going to create so many tremendous results. So that's, uh, I can help any company that's open-minded and willing to change and play, create a culture that will trump almost any strategy out there. Yeah, I think that's that that, that culture and strategy thing is huge because strategy is is you know when you think of the think of it as like wooden blocks on a board, you know, in a board game that that's your strategy. But humans aren't wooden blocks. Humans are are people, and there's all these little little details that that you can try to strategize all you want, but if the people aren't on board, you can't be everywhere all at once. You know, as we're recording this. Um, I, I'm not sure what the current events will be by the time this comes out, but as we're recording this, of course, you know, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is going on and that was supposed to be like a one day thing, a two day thing. It was a, it was a military superpower, major power invading a minor country. And 
and, you know, the strategy was go in, take the cities, knock out the air defense, boom, 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 and no problem, bing, bang, boom, we control the country. And then in the event, the culture in that, in the institutions of the Russian army wasn't there. People were like, oh, oh, wait, oh, do we need to do this? Oh, yeah, uh, this isn't, this isn't ready, but I don't want to tell my boss because he might, you know, shoot me. Um, so I'm just going to tell him everything's ready and we'll hope for the best. Yeah, you know, and it's a, I think, a great example of what, of, of catastrophically incorrect culture in an organization when it actually, when the rubber actually hits the road. Yeah. And I would go to the opposite side too. The Ukrainian culture is incredible. Oh yes. Their commitment to their country, to a greater ideal that they really are resilient, positive, dedicated people in a way that they're putting their lives on the line for this. Mm -hmm. The culture of Ukraine is you know, that I'm learning and I have a, a Ukrainian friend is so powerful, so connected, so resilient. And it has hundreds of years in this culture mm-hmm. that they're amazing human beings that are really um, giving the, their all yep. to it. And now, you know, I don't like to use that as an example. What if you had a company that where people gave half as much effort yes. as the Ukrainian or one tenth as much as they're so committed I, I find the the people there incredibly inspiring. And, yes, and it's sad that and that's kind of the other example of Russia. One leader, and there's a lot of great Russian people. One leader, what damage they can do mm-hmm. to the damage he's doing to Russia right now is incredible. The damage he's doing to the world is incredible as well, and the unbelievable damage he's doing in the Ukraine. Yes, and I, yep. I my friend would chastise me for that. Damage he's doing in Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Yeah, in Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, in terms of the, the culture, you know, it's, it's that indomitable culture where, you know, strategy in terms of being prepared, they, they were they were prepared enough, but they weren't fully prepared for invasion. You know, they hadn't been fortifying for weeks. Um, but the people have this, that we're going to get it done. You know, we're, we're not going to lose. So if we need to throw a jar of tomatoes, to take a drone out, we're going to throw a jar of tomatoes and take a drone out with it. Um, and as you said, you know, if a business could have have a tenth of that, but it was simply the we're going to get this done somehow. And if we need to go find a jar of tomatoes because we don't have a router, <laughs> then then let's go find a jar of tomatoes. So many businesses, you know, you, you see the employee there who's just sitting there waiting, and you're like, why are you why are you just standing here? Oh, because nobody told me to start. <laughs> um, there, there are their cultures will figure out a way, and I believe you know. Unfortunately, the Russian forces are overwhelming. If they come in and take things over, they will never quit. Mm-hmm. They never quit until it does go back to Ukrainian control. Yeah. So inevitably, they're Russia is going to lose. Yes. But it could be miserable in the long term. Right now, in terms of a culture at work, you're talking about an unengaged employee that isn't being set up to succeed, mm-hmm. that isn't, doesn't feel that collaborative engagement. Now, wouldn't you love that employee to go, oh, I need to go to my friend or my uh, partner at work to figure this out and we'll figure it out together. And I'm excited about that. And what, one of the, the playful things I talk about, and it's not always, but it's accurate. I said, if you have a jerk of a boss, it still feels good to be engaged. <laughs> so don't disengage despite, to, to spite the boss. Engage despite the boss because it feels good for you to contribute and play at a high level. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a huge thing, and that, I, I think some is the um, I, I believe they call it psychological safety. 
that a lot of workers disengage because they're like, well, I can't get in trouble for not doing anything because I wasn't told. You know, the the old joke about nobody gets fired for buying Salesforce. Um, You know, I I didn't go outside the box. I'm just doing what I'm told. So I can't get in trouble here. Um, Whereas the the environments where people are encouraged to, to take risks and accepting that risk will lead to mistakes. And if you make a mistake, they're going to say, okay, what did we learn from this? How do we move forward? Not, oh, you made a mistake, you're fired. Uh, can you talk a little bit about kind of that creating the, the psychological safety to have great Yeah, that, that's when I start, when I share the recipe, one through six, number six is, I say it comes inspired by Google's Project Aristotle study. The number one factor in creating a high-performance team is psychological safety. And when I talk about psychological safety, and I say in mine is create a safe environment, but psychological safety is um, ideas get bloodied, people do not. Mm. Ideas still get attacked, but people don't. And people are understand that it's an idea and it's not me. Part of our big problem with the world and why we're so butting heads and separated and polarized is we sow these ideas into our skin and we <laughs> think our, the, our ideas are us. So if someone pokes at it, our idea, it hurts, but it's just our idea or belief. Now, some of our beliefs are so strong um, that we feel like if we let go or if the belief is questioned, we're going to crumble. But letting go of this attachment, deep attachment to beliefs and being open to whatever the truth is, wherever it takes us, I think is such a more powerful position. And saying that, I say, is your organization, going back to the psychological safety and safe environment, I say safe environment. Is your organization a concrete organization or is it a net organization? Is Mm. it concrete or net? And I mean, if someone gets up and does something new and they fall down, are they falling out in concrete or into a net that they can climb back out of and do it again? That's And and so so if they find their organization is a concrete organization, what can a leader do to to make it more net-like? Great question. And just even asking that question, coming, one, having that awareness that you just said there, if a leader had, comes with, ah, my organization is a concrete organization. I'd rather have a net organization because I want to create innovation because people, it's going to be hard to innovate on the tight wire or the, the high wire. If you, or the trapeze, it's hard that you're going to be just holding on to that same bar on that trapeze. If there's concrete below you, mm-hmm. if there's a net, your people can risk doing new things reaching for that second bar, grabbing on and doing new tricks. Now, how do you create that? Knowing that one, I would say even going to the employees, I realize I've made this or this environment very punishing and I want to change it with your help. How can we make this a great environment and get the input from everyone? Mm. And the reason I say that is ownership of a company, ownership of ideas, make them more readily accepted. So how do you help your employees? Everyone contribute to these ideas and they'll come up with your people will come up with phenomenal ideas as a leader, probably in these big changes speak last. If they've given the solutions that you're excited about or give better ones and adopt those, give them credit for bringing those in. Mm -hmm. And now you have a bought in organization to how we can create a safer place. How do we gently hold ourselves accountable to that and also give ourselves the permission to get it wrong and correct? A take two, a take three, because our old habits are grooved in in a deep habit groove. 
And to get them pull that needle out of there, it probably going to get you bumped unconscious, you're back in the groove. Bumped <laughs> unconscious, back in the groove. Just keep pulling that needle out, and soon you'll have a new habit groove where you have that net culture where people can now get on the uh, trapeze of innovation and take big risk and do amazing tricks that will create profits, innovation, connection, collaboration, and you'll work in an environment that retains your best people and recruits some amazing people into it. I, I love that concept. I, I was talking to, so one of my, uh, one of one of the people I know in my network is one of the best leaders I know. He had someone working for him who made a mistake that cost the company $100,000, like single mistake, $100,000, poof, out the window. And that guy came to the, the leader and he said, you know, well, obviously I'm going to resign. I just cost you $100,000. And he said, the heck you are. I just spent $100,000 training you. You going to make no. a mistake again? And he's like, well, no, of course I wouldn't make that mistake again. And he's like, well, the next guy will. So you're not going anywhere. I just spent you a hundred thousand. I just spent a hundred thousand bucks training you. You're going to make it up for me by learning from that mistake and going forward. And it's such a different philosophy of, of leadership, team leadership that, you know, the mistakes we'll make is, is the cost of training and not like, Oh, well, you're a loser. Let's go find someone else's. Maybe not. Your, your friend was smart in terms of keeping the employee like that, especially if they're good. If they're honest about the mistake. And I asked, I asked this question of leaders, what could it cost your organization if your employee hides their mistakes? <laughs> and why would they hide their mistakes from you? Probably because you're more concrete and yep. not enough net. And one, one of the great um, CEOs I talked to, Tal Frankfurt talked about, we openly talk about the leader's failures. Mm -hmm. So our people know they can talk about their failures as well. We don't want anyone hiding any of these mistakes because one mistake, one really bad mistake could actually tip over a company. Yeah. Crash. Well, it, they say of uh, Volkswagen where with the, the uh, emissions cheating scandal, which the irony there was, the first time they did it, it was to, they had to get under some threshold or whatever. So they didn't have technology to do it legitimately. By the next year, they had the technology to fix it. They didn't need to cheat anymore, but to fix it, someone would have to say it was broken. And the higher ups were like, well, the numbers are fine. Why do we need to put any money into putting the new technology in? We already did it with the old technology. And so they kept cheating for five or six years when it only should have been one year because nobody could admit to what was happening. That's, that's a great story. And it's huge. You know, it's how, how, what kind of culture are you creating at your organization? And the great thing is this, you can change it. Yep. Hopefully before you have to, you know, fire your CEO, half your board and, and pay yeah, an $18 so, billion dollar lawsuit. So if you're the CEO, how many, how many CEOs have lost their job because they covered up things uh -huh. versus were, uh, um, more transparent about it. Now I know also CEOs because especially public companies, they have the pressure to produce quarterly results. Now the recipe I share can produce quarterly results beyond what most people expect, I believe. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that's huge. Um, and so we got a, a few minutes left. I'd love to hear about your Speakers Skills Plus program because I bet we have more speakers than CEOs in our audience. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, knowing that, I might have changed the order. Well, welcome speakers. And a CEO is a speaker. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think we do have a lot of leaders, just not, yeah. not a lot of like, Volkswagen level CEOs. <laughs> right, right. And what I'd go to as well, if you own a business, you're an entrepreneur, you're a coach, whatever you do, you are a speaker. You actually are a professional speaker. 
You mm-hmm. might not be a good professional speaker, but that's the one skill you can boost actually pretty quickly if you're motivated to do it. And, mm-hmm. and also being aware the advantage of boosting that skill. I just say, if you want to get more of what you want, be a better communicator. Mm. <laughs> be a better communicator. Now, Speaker Skills Plus was designed for me, created by me, and also a bunch of cool people that joined me in it. It became a co-collaboration. But I was working on my speaking skills, and that was not working for me. I'd find ways to procrastinate. Remote controls would all of a sudden end in my hand and bowls of cereal. And I'd find myself uh, eating cereal and watching TV instead of working on my skills. So I thought one day as I had this epiphany, I never procrastinate towards basketball or improv. (laughs) Why is that? Well, they're both fun. I like doing it. I actually get in shape to play basketball. I actually work out, do work to get in shape to play better basketball. How can I bring that into speaking? So that was part of the birth of Speaker Skills Plus. Excuse me. Pre-pandemic. On Zoom. Because I didn't want to commute and I wanted to invite cool friends from all over the world to play with me. And I gamified speaking. I used improv games. I used speaking games. Uh, We work with the best storytellers in the world and how they do it. We look at their examples. What did they do here to make this great? So a couple of our games are like creating mysteries, using metaphors and analogies, uh, like concrete or net. It makes things more concrete so you can build an incredible foundation of your speaking skills on it. And I say, I've created a playful environment of inevitable success, meaning you're guaranteed to grow your skills if you're willing to jump in and play Now, as we talked earlier, that's going to be out of your comfort zone. But the big thing I do is create a safety net, a super safe place for people to play. That you can get on that speaking trapeze and have fun and take a risk and reach for that next one and grow your skills so fast. So I guarantee if they jump in and play for a month, they're going to grow their speaking and communication skills by at least 10%. That that sounds hugely powerful. I I completely agree with you about the how everyone is a speaker, whether they're good at it or not. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, sales is is speaking, and maybe to an audience of one. Getting on podcasts is speaking. Being on stages, obviously, is speaking. Um, leading your team is speaking. Absolutely. And even the voice you're speaking. I love this one really good professional speaker, Jim Britt. Mm-hmm. He said, we're casting spells, you know, as a speaker. Ooh. And who is who are we casting the most spells to? The one that says it and hears it. Uh So what we speak out into the world actually impacts us. And the plus part of Speaking Skills Plus is really dropping our fears. The fears that hold us back. And I talk about the one fear that underlies most modern fears in there and how we can let that go. And then going just to speaking for a second again, uh, one of the big mottos of that is be willing to be bad over and over Mm -hmm. again so you can eventually be great. And we create that safe place where we can be bad. And I demonstrate it. And I created this. That motto came out of this. I wanted to speak in different voices. And I was not very good at it. And I'm still not that great at it. But I wanted to do it. And <laughs> I keep playing with it. And because of that, uh, I was willing to be bad. And I still am even right on your podcast, Michael. <laughs> it sounded good to me. All right. All right. Yeah. So it was the best accent impression we've had on this episode. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. There's, there's so many things where you're, you're like, well, what if I'm not very good at it? And 
the answer has to be who cares. And, and that's hard because it wasn't for me. Remember when I said Jackie Lowell said the secret to success and improv in life was daring to suck. Yep. At that time, I was a big no. Mm. Um, since then, uh, because it created a safe place, because there was that net that got created, and the net got created in my head too. Yeah. And we talked about in the beginning of that is you know the book mindset. One, when you fail, you are a failure. The other, when you fail, it's just feedback. Mm-hmm. I started to adapt that one more. Yeah. Instead of failure, I'm the failure. Failure is just feedback. That that is a great great philosophy. And yeah, this is something that's been very valuable to me as I've as I've shifted shifted mindset over time. You know, realizing now that there's certain things you don't want to you know don't want to dare to suck at. You know, brain surgery. Um, <laughs> well, absolutely. And I, I say this is usually when I'm speaking to people when I've flown in. I go. I'm not going to go to my pilot when I leave here today and say, "Hey, dare to suck." Yeah. <laughs> now there's yeah. something. I, I, my cousin Josh is a pilot for United. And he said, I said, do you ever dare to suck? He said, no, Chris, we don't dare to suck. And I said, what about in a simulator? Oh, in a simulator? Yes. Yeah. Not when we're actually flying the plane, mm-hmm. uh, but yes, in a simulator. Yep. Well, it, and I think it brings up an important point of there's some place, you know, if you're in that key client meeting and like this client will make or break your company, you, you don't want to dare to suck there. You, you want to rock there, but you're going to be good because you dared to suck during 50 presentations before that. Because when you... When you had the meeting with the guy that hey, you don't really care if he likes you or not, you know that's a place where you tried out, you tried out a metaphor or you tried out a joke or you tried something out, and if it fell flat, eh, whatever. You know, if you crash playing the simulator, no big deal. If you, if you, if you bomb on one of thirty podcast interviews that you're on, not a big deal. If you bomb on the stage in front of ten thousand people where you're, you know, opening for Tony Robbins, you don't suck there. It, well, what I'd say there too is I would say even if you suck there, good for you. And one of the one of the other things I say is this, and this is inspired by a certain hockey player. Um, first impression more important or 99th? Um, 99th because most recent? <laughs> I like that. And so I, so I get all kinds of answers and most people say first impression. And I give first impression a lot of credit. You cannot have a 99th without a first. Yep. And some people don't give you a second chance. So sometimes like the Tony Robbins stage, Tony, if you bomb, Tony might not give you a second chance. But what if you did bomb on Tony's stage? And then you went out there and you found 98 other stages Uh and rocked it and sent Tony a clip or his people a clip and say, Tony, I took some of your advice from that moment on your stage and here's where I'm at on my 99th impression on a stage. And he saw that clip. I think Tony might say, oh, my gosh, I need you back on my stage because that story is a great story. Yes. Yeah, and, I love that. And the other thing I get is this. I see people all the time that make the first impression so important that they never make it. Mm. It's better to bomb on Tony Robbins stage than not speak on Tony Robbins stage. No, yes. But I would also say, uh, yeah, d- definitely get prepared to do yes. well on Tony's stage if you're given the opportunity. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I'm not saying don't get prepared for it. Just go bomb on it. No. Uh, get pre- and that's what Speaker Skills Plus does for me. It's a playful place where I get to play, yeah. where I've sandpapered the resistance out of it. So instead of pushing your speaking boulder uphill towards your success, and, and when you pause, it rolls back over you. I'm saying now you're jumping on a speaking sled and sliding down the hill towards your speaking success. 
create environments. I've, I've basically turned my procrastination into a superpower. Nice. Because I look to now gamify or make fun the important things I want to do. That That's huge. That's huge. Well, yeah. And if you're going to suck or bomb or mess something up, do it at Speaker Spills Plus and not on the big stage in front of a thousand people. It's, you know, flying in the simulator uh, instead of, you know, crash the simulators or crash the plane. And you've, you're, you've built the simulator. Absolutely. And I would say that I love the way you said it. So basically a speaking simulator where you can have a ton of fun playing, gamifying your way to growing your skills. And one of the things we talk about actually on Speaker Skills Plus is recovery. Mm-hmm. I would say, actually, if you let's say you bombed in the first two minutes of a Tony Robbins talk, you're on this stage and go and you look, you step out of yourself and go, wow, that did not go well. <laughs> and your audience would agree with you. And you'd have if you stayed calm and the level of comfort. Yep. They'd go, oh my gosh, I can't believe how well they recovered from that. And if yeah. you said something like, Tony helped me get more present, I got my energy back, and now I'm going to give you the best I can because that was not good. Let's mm-hmm. let's start this baby over and roll. Your audience might be even more impressed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen so many recoveries that are that start with someone pointing out. Like, like the, one of the, the classic ones I see is when someone says a joke and doesn't land because the timing goes off or they got interrupted or something or someone stepped on the punchline. And they'll just kind of let the silence hang and then say, that was supposed to be a joke. And like that will recover almost any bad, any flat joke. Because if you just deadpan, you're like, that was supposed to be a joke. The audience will almost always laugh because they're laughing at, now they're not laughing at the joke. They're laughing with you on the poor delivery of the joke. And now you're all on the same side of the table laughing together. It's the same thing. If you're like, I don't know if you've noticed this with me, audience, that the first two minutes of speech, anyone else notice that um, it sucked? <laughs> they'll be like, uh, yeah, kind of like, no, you're all thinking it. it's cool. It's cool. That's how we start. We all start by sucking. So, you know, make no, it you got to be careful there. When you get really good, you can go to yourself. And I've done this. I've said to an audience, wow, I, I was not on there. And they go, wow, you were great. What do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so be, be careful with that when you get really good because your audience go, oh, that was really good. You might be off on your game. But your game is at a higher enough level where that isn't. Now, the other Ooh, thing I use, point. I'll give you another recovery line for a bad joke. Mm-hmm. Wow, that joke sounded a lot better in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one too. Yeah, but yeah, I think a lot of just you know being being comfortable enough. I said daring to suck, being comfortable enough to admit that you got wrong. One thing I learned in in Toastmasters uh, is early on, I'd, I'd make a mistake and. And, you know, sometimes you make a mistake, you telegraph it, but not in a good way. But in the like, oh, oh, wait, hold on. Let me check my notes. Um, and the feedback is, I don't have your notes. I didn't know you forgot something. If, if you have points one, two, three, and four, and you did one, three, four, you don't say, oh, I forgot. Just make point two the next point. Nobody knows what order your points are supposed to be in. It wasn't a, a magical ritual that had to be spoken in the right syllables. Um, maybe just roll with it and... Yeah, as you said, oftentimes the audience has no idea anything's wrong if you don't tell them anything's wrong. And the, the huge thing for me was getting comfortable on stage. I went from a fearful speaker to one that has a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of uh, key things, and there's a bunch of things that went into that process. But I'll give you one of them that most people don't believe. Uh, I like to be wrong now. <laughs> I, used to, <laughs> I used to hate to be wrong and I've had you know some very intelligent people question me. Do you really like to be wrong, Chris? Actually, I do. In in sometimes now, sometimes the old program pops in, but I, I choose to like to be wrong because I get to get super curious. 
I can learn from the wisdom of my audience. I bring their wisdom in. I don't have to know everything. And I used to, when I hated to be wrong, when I was wrong on the outside, it made me wrong on the inside. And Mm. a lot of the planet has this disease. If you're wrong about something you say or do, you feel wrong internally as a being. I don't think anything can touch our beingness. We're all equal in beingness. We just have different skill levels about different things. Mm -hmm. So I'm no longer wrong. When I'm wrong on the outside, I get to celebrate it. Hey, show me where I was wrong. Ah, thank you for sharing that. Michael, I appreciate you adding to my wisdom. I get to be curious and learn something new. I get to grow. And that was like taking off a 200-pound backpack that I've been wearing my entire life. Because when I walked in a room, I felt judged by me constantly and judged by everyone else. Mm. Huge. Thank you. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I always say I hate being wrong, and so I'm willing to admit it. So I can stop being wrong. Those people, people who won't take feedback, they just keep being wrong. So if you don't like being wrong, take criticisms. You can only be wrong one time instead of over and over again on larger and larger stages. <laughs> that's a, that's another very interesting way to look at it. Yeah, if, if you don't admit you're wrong, you're probably going to keep making the same mistake over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's why, uh, you know, if someone has five years, 10 years experience at something, maybe they really don't have five, 10 years experience. Again, it depends on how engaged they were in it. Because some people live in one year, they live a lifetime of someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think think one of the reasons people love Tony Robbins is this. He, at least in his seminars, when you're around him, he helps you feel more alive. Yeah. And that's, you know, when I, I share my crazy theory uh, about Americans and that some of them don't like me for it. Some of them laugh at me for it. And I love coming up with crazy theories. But, but one of the crazy theories is this. Amer- the reason why Americans love zombie movies so much is because zombies are a little bit more dead than we are. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Are you, I'm glad you like it. I have other people go, no, Chris, come on. I go, okay, tell me about most people's lives. Uh-huh. Lives of quiet desperation doing the same old thing again and again, beating themselves up in their head, having difficult relationships, uh, making their life incredibly differ- uh, difficult, suffering when they don't need to suffer uh, because of all these crazy spun out thoughts in their head. That's, that is quite true. So, uh, so we're coming to the end of our time. Actually, we're past the end of our time, but you did that thing where you were interesting. So I just blew past the end of the Dang end it. Of time. <laughs> um, so if our, our audience who hears this says, yeah, I need some of that. How can they get in touch with you, Chris Nielsen? Uh, thank you, Michael. Uh, one of the ra- ways to get a hold of me is Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at chrisnielsen.com. And that Nielsen is spelled N-I-E-L-S-O-N.com. Chris at chrisnielsen.com. There's also speakerskillsplus.com if you want to check that out. Get a free golden ticket to take it on a test drive. I love people that test drive it. It's almost like a roller coaster. Some of you will be, woo, this thing is awesome. And some of you go, ooh, I can't wait to get off. Um, But either way, I make it super safe. Uh, And you'll, you'll get some ideas how to improve your speaking skills, some games you can take off on your own. And if you're an innovative leader that really wants to start eating uh, some strategy for breakfast with an incredible culture, reach out to me. I'll do a 30-minute free discovery session to show you how you can do that. And I love working with 
heart-centered, mission-driven, purpose-fueled leaders that want to also make a big difference in the world and send a lot of positive ripples out there. I, that sounds like some great stuff there. So I, I think I'm going to have to take advantage of that golden ticket. I'm, I'm sure you mentioned it. We spoke before and I was probably really busy as I am now, but someday I definitely want to see that because you're talking about like, that just sounds like I joined Toastmasters because I like being on stage and I wanted more chances to do it and didn't have the time or energy to actually like get real stages, but just wanted to have fun on stage. So you should definitely do it. You'll love it, Michael. Yeah. It's, uh, and you'll see the games, you know, will obviously help anyone jump in at whatever level. If you're a better speaker than me, and there's many better speakers than me mm-hmm. out there, it'll help you. You sit, you, if you're sitting back and go, Chris, I'm a better speaker than you. Great. I've created games at whatever your level is, you're going to get better at it. And if you like inspiring other people, come join us. You'll yeah. inspire us with your amazing voices, characters, uh, dialogue, situations where we'll have a ton of fun. I love it. And of course, you know, the... Uh, Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan is a better basketball player than any of his coaches. Absolutely. Yet, his and coaches made him a better better player than Michael Jordan yesterday. Absolutely. And he's one of the ones that inspires me to be willing to be bad over and over again. He uh-huh. said, the reason I succeed is I failed over and over again. Yes. If and, and he was willing to, I was not for a while. Now I am. Mm-hmm. I've, I've started to own that. Sometimes I fall, but I don't want to fail. But I go, I love taking risks now, even in public events, because I know I can recover. And I just the thought of, oh, I'm walking out on the tightrope and it's way up in the air. Let's see if we can do this new thing. I love it. That's powerful. So it's Speaker Skills Plus is where people can find your Speaker Skills program. And they can email you at chris at chrisnielsen.com. And of course, all that's in the show notes as well. Chris, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much. Michael, I'm glad I know a guy that knows a guy that knows you. (laughs) (laughs) This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, jv-connect.com. That's JV connect.com December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.